Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump right into it, but, but before I do, I, I want to say a couple quick hellos because I love it when we have guests with us, uh, and specifically some family member guests, some pastors and credential holders. Uh, and last week I had mentioned there were some guests, there were some family members, Rebecca and the boys were here, and we had a guest, Asha, with us. Well, Asha is back, but not only is Asha here, she is with her dad, Jazz Gag, who is a pastor in Gibsons, BC. So let's say hi to Jazz and Asha Gag. As well, we have some guests who have been here before over the last few years and are here again. Tony and Sarah Warner, all the way from Fort St. John. <clears throat> nice to have you guys here again with us this evening. Okay, great. Uh, we have been reading out of what book in our Mimic and Model series? First Thessalonians. Okay, what chapter have we been in? Who is the author? Right on. Three for three. Okay. So Paul, uh, in Acts chapter 17, you can read the visit that he made to the city of Thessalonica. Uh, and there was some trouble that took place there. Remember? What happened? Anybody remember what happened? There was an angry group, an angry group of Jews that uh, was going after Paul and didn't like what he was saying. Uh, and so they created some ruckus. And so Paul left because of the safety of his health and life. He left. Uh, but this young church, this new, young, probably around a year old, maybe less, of new believers um, was there. And so Paul sent Timothy to go see how this new church is doing, this young church is doing. And when Timothy got there, Timothy was quite encouraged. Uh, and he came back and gave a report to Paul. And this is Paul's response to Timothy's report. Remember? And we opened up our series four weeks ago uh, in chapter one, where we talked about that Paul had mentioned about the reports of their faith. Even though that it was a difficult time, that they were facing a season of strife and of difficulty, uh, they still welcomed the message with great joy. Remember the words that he used as we named our series Mimic and Model after? He said, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. You became a model to all the believers and the Lord's message rang out from you. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Isn't that a great testimony, right? Isn't that an awesome testimony and one that I desire for here as well, for us, that we would have that, that nature, that characteristic, that testimony and report that when people come here, they say, man, out of their faithfulness, the Lord's message just rang through who they are. Out of their speech, their action, their words, how they cared, how they loved for one another, that the Lord's message rang out from them. Can I say that I've heard that report? I heard that report on Thursday night in my living room, sitting with Asha, as she was talking about her experience last week. I was so sweet. Hearing the report of kindness, hearing the report, the report of people who are uh, welcoming, hearing the report of just people who desire the same things I desire. And it was really encouraging to hear. The church is a labor of love, right? A labor of love. And it's hard to separate those two. And I don't think we should separate those two. You cannot separate laboring without love and you cannot separate showing love without labor, and many of us probably have been in situations or circumstances within a faith community or a local church where it has been separated, that faith and love. 
work and labor, demand and expectation without the trust or care or compassion that we seek and need and desire. Or maybe you've experienced a community of love and kindness and of acceptance, but there's been a lack or laziness in effort and in purpose. Sometimes faith communities can become hard and difficult. Sometimes faith communities can be emotional and lazy and stagnant in their meaning and purpose. And so Paul, in his final exhortation, in his letter here to this early church, he encourages the believers and he also warns them as well. He says, I see joy in you and you've accepted this gospel message, the reports of your faith during a difficult time, but keep watch. He says, don't get lazy, essentially. Paul sounds this alarm to the early church against the growing contempt that can often take place in any community, a faith community as well. When we've been in something for so long, we can grow contempt and it just becomes routine and it just kind of goes through the motion. And so I've titled my message this evening, Has Your Rhythm Become Routine? He's saying, be on guard. Be careful that your rhythm won't turn into a mechanical routine. Okay, so we've read through our scripture. We're going to have it up on the screen again for you. We're going to go through it again. Open up your Bibles. Open your phone to version. In that moment, you can also turn your sound off. And we can read the scripture together. <laughs> Chapter 5, we're going to go all the way back to verse 12 and go all the way to verse 24. Now, we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Verse 19, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. We'll stop there for right now. That last section, verses 19 to 22, was where we're going to camp this evening as we finish up our Mimic and Model series. Uh, I got a question, though, before we get into that passage. Who here likes fire? Wow. Okay. Yeah? I I really like it, too. Like, I really like fire. Uh, It is something that, like, there's not many things that I can just sit by myself and stare at and just endlessly and not get bored, fire is one of those things. Like it's amazing where if you got a, a group of people in a circle and there was no purpose or meaning to discussion and you just sat there, it would get awkward or tiring after a while. But if you have a fire in the center, you can do it for hours, right? There's something about just sitting around a fire. And so I really like fire. I have a picture of me beside a fire. That is me. On the riverbed in Chilliwack, 
on our yearly annual Christmas tree burn. This is the way that you finish off the Christmas season, is you get your Christmas tree and a bunch of other people's Christmas trees, and you put them in a pile, and you douse gasoline on it, and then you light it on fire. What a better way to ring in the new year. Am I right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, lots of fun with a fire. Uh, These are ways that we would start the fire. So um, we would douse gasoline. Gasoline is used every single year, okay? So that is just like a necessity. Uh, But ways that we would start the fire is uh, we would use Roman candles. So we'd douse it with gasoline and then we'd shoot Roman candles at it and and that was awesome. Uh, One year, uh, it failed terribly. Um, Carolyn Budow, uh, she had a bow and arrow and put like a cloth on the end of it and dunked it in gas, lit it on fire and tried to shoot right in it and shot right over it. (laughs) So that one didn't work. Um, there was a time where uh, it was so cold outside, uh, the ground was so frozen, it wasn't this time, um, where we could put a trail of gasoline on like the riverbed and then we could light the trail and then like it went all the way to the trees and, and lit up. It was super cool. Uh, there was one time, I, I couldn't find the video, I really wanted to find the video for it, um, is I had a, a long stick that was on fire and I like ran up to it and I like threw it like this. <laughs> but in the process, the, the fumes of the gasoline must have like seeped out. And as I threw it, it hit it and it just kind of went out like in a, a huge circle. And it was like, like a, a half a second of flame just like engulfed around me. But it felt like a really long time in that moment where I was surrounded by fire and flame. And then it just like disappeared and all of a sudden the trees were on fire. So that was a fun time. Uh, So we like fire. If you go to Chilliwack uh, anytime um, after the snow melts and the river gets to go down again, uh, we'll be at the river having a fire. You can join us. Okay. I love fires, uh, but I hate forest fires. And you know what? I love summers, but I'm beginning not to love summers in BC because it's no longer the season of summer. It seems to be the season of forest fires. And I am just tired of forest fires every single summer. Who drove through the forest fire on the Coquihalla last year? Anybody? Yeah. Wasn't that freaky? I hated that experience. Just hated it. I couldn't believe it was open, first of all. Uh, but there's fire just on each side. I grew up in Kelowna, uh, and uh, around the year 2000, 2001-ish, there was a massive fire that took place. You guys were just born then. Okay, moving on. Forest fires are terrible. Have you ever seen forest fires being fought by firefighters or water bombers? Okay, those planes or the helicopters, right? They either use water or fire retardant that they use to like smother it and smother out the fire to put it out. And when that retardant is used, the fire is smothered. It's quenched. It's, it's held at bay. It is blocked to spread any further. And so essentially what they're doing is they are eliminating. They're uh, wiping out. They are quenching out the fire. They're suppressing it. And they suppress any potential fuel that it could use as they soak it as well with their their water or fire retardant. Fire is a great resource, except when it gets out of control. Fire is a great resource, except when it gets put out 
as well. And in our passage, Paul uses this language, not necessarily of fire in this, but he relates it to the concept of that quenching out of a fire. He uses this physical descriptive language to express his spiritual matters. And so in verse 19, he uses the words, do not quench the spirit. Do not put out the spirit. The word quench in scripture, when it is used, it is speaking of suppressing. Uh, like as in fire, to extinguish, to, to blot out, to suppress, to stifle, to obliterate. The author in Hebrews, he uses the language, a consuming fire when he writes and describes of God. Multiple times in the Old Testament, we see imagery and pictures of God's spirits or the image of God in that of fire. One of the most notable Moses and the burning bush, right? There's also, we sang about it, that the fire leading the Israelites by night, the angel of the Lord. In Ezekiel's vision as well, we see the imagery of fire. In the New Testament, John the Baptist, he uses the language as he tells of Jesus that he's going to, to come and baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. In Acts chapter two, they saw the believers what seemed like fire rests on the head of each person. Luke 24, I love the passage where Jesus is walking with the travelers and they're unaware that Jesus is walking with them post-resurrection. And then when he reveals himself and then just vanishes, I think it's hilarious. Um, in that moment, they say, oh, when he was with us, didn't our hearts burn inside of us? And so this imagery this visual of describing the Holy Spirit or the Lord as like fire dwelling in each person. And Paul uses this word quench metaphorically to speak about hindering or quenching or suppressing the operations of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And when we as believers, when we do not allow the Spirit to be seen in our actions, we quench the Holy Spirit when we do not allow the Holy Spirit to be seen in our speech, we quench the Holy Spirit. When we do not allow the Holy Spirit to be revealed in our character, we quench the Holy Spirit. So how have you quenched the Holy Spirit? I first had that question, have you quenched the Holy Spirit? And then I realized, oh, if they're anything like me, it's not have I. It's how have I quenched the Holy Spirit in my life? So how have we quenched the Holy Spirit? First off, it's thinking that he's only a power. I think one of the greatest ways that we can quench the Holy Spirit, that we can stifle the work of the Spirit in our life, is when we look at him just as a power and not as a person. The Holy Spirit is a holy, divine person of the triune God, a member of the Trinity. Ephesians 4, Paul, he uses the language, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, very similar language and meaning. And only a person can be grieved. A force cannot be grieved. A power cannot be grieved. Only a person can be grieved. Therefore, the Spirit 
must be divine. We quench the spirit when we only think that he is a power and not a person. Another way that we quench the spirit is by living contrary to the spirit. And Paul, in another letter, it's funny, there's so many similarities in each of the letters that he writes to the churches. It's like some of them are dealing with the same thing that the other church is dealing with, right? He says in Galatians chapter five, he talks about what is contrary to the spirit. He says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And the acts of the flesh are this. They're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, which is excessive indulgence and sensual pleasure. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, which is like a continual lack of disagreement, like a lack of harmony. Sorry, a lack of agreement, a lack of harmony. Jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, which is again, disagreement and bitterness that we hold on to. Factions is contrary to the spirit. Factions is a small group of people in a larger community gathering that is just always out to to tear people down to go against what is longed for, the values of that group, to create conflict. Also, he says, uh, what is contrary to the spirit is envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. As we live contrary to the spirit, we quench the spirit in our lives. Living in unrepentant sin, quenches the spirit in our lives. And I think, okay, that that is a hard one. Unrepentant sin. But the Lord has dealt with sin, right? He's dealt with sin with Jesus on the cross. He wants us to come to him freely in, in hopes of the promise that he set before us that he will receive and accept us and forgive us. And as we do receive that freedom, that salvation, there's a continual sanctification process that takes place that we continually come in confession and repentance before him and he will forgive us. He's dealt with our sin. And so I don't think it's sin is is the worst thing that we do that quenches the spirit because God's already dealt with our sin. I think what is so difficult, what we do that is so difficult as we quench the spirit is that we can respond with such lack or be so self-sufficient. Our lack of response to his leading in our life. Like Jesus paid the price for all of our sin. And sometimes we can just respond with such contempt. God's already dealt with the sin in our lives. And we can just be distracted with what's going on in life. I believe of our lack or our own self-sufficiency. It reminds me of the church of Laodicea in Revelations 3. Jesus calls them not hot nor cold. He calls them what? Lukewarm. And the lukewarm isn't just in the sense of they are, are lack in their response or they're uncaring in their response or they're not very... Um, excited or vigorous in their response, it's actually more in the sense they're lukewarm because they 
They rely on their own strength and their own sufficiency rather than relying on the strength and sufficiency of Christ. So he calls them lukewarm. So have you ever made a campfire? Have you ever put out a campfire? Okay, you don't have water. You don't have a shovel. You just, you're outside. How do you put out a campfire? What's the best way to put it out? Pee on it. Yes, that's, that's one way. One way. No, yeah, no liquid. I said no liquid. I should have prefaced liquid, not just water. Okay, what was it? Spread it out. That's actually my first point, Trevor. Way to go. How else do you do it? Yeah, give it up for Trevor there. Oh my goodness. You spread it out and you stomp on it or smother it, cover it up. Take some dirt, the ashes underneath, and you cover it up. You quench it, you smother it. You extinguish it. You obliterate it. So how have you quenched the Holy Spirit in your life? I'm not asking for responses on this. <laughs> Can I ask you a few questions, though? Have you become passive in your pursuit of God? No, you don't have to. I'd like you to consider these questions, though. And if you feel like one hits you and you want to write it down, be a good time to do so. Have you become passive in your pursuit of God? Are you distracted in your time with the Spirit? Are you numbed out mentally? Mind scrolling, not just through social media and TV shows, but through other people's lives and problems around you. Has the passion and love for Jesus faded over your time at Summit? Was that story of Caleb encouraging or maybe discouraging to your own personal walk? Great job, by the way, Colby. Can you say that you still have the vigor that you had when you first stepped foot on this campus, maybe a year or years ago? Are you afraid to let your heart burn because you've seen other people's fire quench out? And you're afraid of what they're going to think of you. And so you let yours simmer down too. Maybe somebody spoke negatively of ministry. Maybe they spoke negatively about wing prayer. Maybe they spoke negatively about chapel. And therefore you're worried about what you'll look like if you participate. Has your rhythm with the spirit become routine? Can I ask a couple more? Good. Kim's cold again. Yeah. Is there unrepentant sin in your life that we need to come to the Lord with and confess and repent and receive his sanctification? Maybe sin that you've previously sought his grace and mercy for. You've prayed over and over for deliverance and there seems to be no change. Maybe you feel like you've been wandering in a desert for 40 years and you think, when is this ever going to end? Have you become cynical of the church? Have you become cynical of other believers? 
that you struggle to believe that God would show up with the mess that they are in? How often do I see the spirit quenched in our students? And I mean this sincerely. When, when we see students quenched in students' life because their preferences aren't met at a specific ministry or church. And it breaks our heart. Have you quenched the spirit because your time in worship with God needs to be the right mood, the right environment, the right song, and the right moment? Have you quenched the spirit? Do you need music to be aware of the moving of the spirit in your life? Have you quenched the spirit because you're afraid to let him take control of your future, your life, and your ministry? Maybe God was asking you to step out on something. and Maybe he was asking you to say yes to something, but you reserved yourself for it. Out of fear, out of uncertainty. Can you trust that God knows your future? Not just in ministry, but also in relationships and marriage. He knows who, he knows if, he knows when. Right? Is there something in your life that you're trying to control that you need to surrender? That's how we can quench the spirit. Those are are ways that I looked back on my life and thought, "Mm, I think I quenched the spirit in a moment like that before. So these are personal questions, (laughs) as they are for me, as they should be for you. So first he says, do not quench the spirit. And then he says, do not treat prophecies with contempt. Stephen J. Cole, he says this, while we must not quench the Holy Spirit's working in our midst, we must be discerning so as not to fall prey to false spiritual experiences, emotions, or false teachings. Okay? We want to be open to the working and the moving of the Holy Spirit, but we don't want to be so willy-nilly and emotional about it that we'll just accept everything and anything that's mentioned with the name Jesus attached to it. Amen? Okay? We need to be discerning. We need to not despise what God has revealed, not hold it with contempt, but also not just be open to anything and everything that someone has said regarding their revelation of Jesus. There needs to be a balance between those two, that we hold that tension. And that's a difficult balance. It's difficult because many, many believe, many in our Christian faith, many believe specifically about prophecy, specifically about gifts. Many scholars, many teachers and pastors, they they have different views. You can read commentaries and texts uh, that speak on cessationists cessationalism? Did I say it right? Great. Where the gifts and operations of the Spirit have ceased. At the end of the apostolic era, at the completion of the biblical canon, the the gifts of the Spirit, specifically those of signs like healing or prophecy or tongues, tongues and interpretation, miracles, those have ceased at the end of the apostolic era. And there's also many commentaries and scholars, and schools, and professors, and pastors who speak and believe that such gifts are still very much in operations today as they were when we first read it here. As we sang just a few moments ago, he is the same God. Nowhere in scripture can you adequately prove cessationalism to its fullest. And I got a quote from our very own, our very own 
Brianna Gleason, in her paper, she says, cessationists, as their belief that the miraculous gifts of prophecy, healing, tongues, seized in the first century with the apostles is biblically errant. There's no proof. There's no foundation to stand upon that it's seized. There may be in title for prophets, but there isn't in operations of the spirit of gift, uh, the, the gifts of the spirit, in prophecy, in a fresh revelation of Jesus, in a word of God that God speaks to us as we can share with others, as Kirsten did during our time of worship. And we would hold to the understanding that the God of the Bible is still very much active and very much alive and at work through his church. And the gifts of the Spirit are and can be and should be used for edification, for encouragement, and for building up the body. Amen? And I don't mean just in worship services. I mean when we are gathered, when we are together in prayer, when we are together in community. It can be in this building or out of this building. The Spirit is alive and active and wants to see his gifts in operation. And so we must not treat a move of God with contempt. Blase. Like it doesn't mean anything. We must not just freely accept every word or expression that someone tags the name of Jesus to. There are false teachers. There are false preachers in Scripture and today. And so Paul gave some more guidelines. Gave some more guidelines and specifically of that, of prophecy. We're just going to quickly look in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And he gave some guidelines uh, for us, for the church then, that we can apply to our lives today about order in our conduct in our gathering. First and foremost is this, that we are to follow the way of love and to desire the gifts of the Spirit. We are to follow the way of love. We are to care for others, to love one another, to build each other up. And so Paul gives us these instructions. Follow the way of love and desire the gifts of the Spirit. There should be true humility and a longing in our lives to, to wish and long and desire for more of the Spirit in us, to operate within these gifts. And as we truly, humbly long for it, the result will be the Spirit will give us humility in our operations. He will give us boldness and courage, not to puff us up, but so that we can serve and encourage and edify the body. Prophetic words are to strengthen, encourage, and comfort the body. I love that. They are to strengthen, encourage, and comfort the body. And if it does none of those, or not all of those, that it, if it does not match the criteria, it was not from the Lord. The church is to be built up and edified, not torn apart. Not to be harped on, not to be continually criticized. There needs to be correction, absolutely, but not to be spoken negatively towards or criticized, but it's to be built up, not torn apart. And then there should be an agreeance among multiple people. As Kirsten speaks and shares, and I ask, does that speak to you? Multiple people are like, yeah, yeah, totally. I think I needed to hear that. There's an agreeance among multiple people. He says in chapter 14, let two or three speak in and let others weigh in. This should be done with order and great peace, as God is not a God of chaos, but of order and peace. Amen? Okay. I'll finish up with this. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, he says this, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, 
but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into this world. And this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. And so how do we today, in this moment, test if this word of revelation of Jesus is truly from the Lord or not? Because we are blessed with the completion of this book. In the time of Corinth, in the time of Thessalonica, in the time of Galatians, Ephesians, in the time when 1 John wrote his book, this was not completed. And now that we do have the completed work, that is the perfect description and authority of the life of Jesus, his death and resurrection that we have, we can take whatever we hear and compare it to this. And if it aligns with this, and there's multiple sources who are in agreement with that word to align with this, it's a good sign that we can believe the Spirit is with us and speaking to us. Amen? If there is a break in that chain in any moment, we have reason to question. We have reason to show concern. But because we have scripture available to us today, the Bible is the full revelation of Jesus Christ. We can use it to be strengthened, to be encouraged, and to be comforted, to be edified, and to be built up. We should not just be suspicious of every word that's spoken. But we should be people who search God's word each time we hear someone speak, each time your professors share, each time we preach. We should have a habit of saying, okay, is this aligned? Do I know what this says? Can I agree with what is being spoken? And as you take the steps to know this word and to be able to apply what is being spoken or a revelation that's been shared to what is in here, you will be blessed. I can promise you that. I'll invite the, the crew to come on back up here. <clears throat> We've gone through a lot over the last four weeks, right? Paul's exhortation here, his final conclusion to this, to this book. Lots of things that he's like, okay, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this, and how about this, and what about this? Watch yourself, Dave. <clears throat> How are we supposed to do all this? Paul says, honor your workers and honor your leaders. He says, honor those who admonish and correct you. He says, live peaceably with all, with everyone. He says, warn the idle. Warn those who are idle. Warn those. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. He says, rejoice always, pray continually, be grateful in all circumstances. Don't quench the spirit, don't despise God's revelation. You are to test it all, hold on to good, avoid what is evil. How are we supposed to do all of that? That seems like a lot to consider. And I believe it's through a regular sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in your life a regular seeking after him, a regular, consistent, rhythmic life of having scripture read over you, spoken over you, 
ingested into you. However, I think it's done so by praying. I think it's done so by setting spiritual disciplines in your life. I think it's done so by leading yourself. And Paul concludes this list of do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, do this, do this, do this. He, he concludes it with a prayer, and I want this to be my prayer. I want this to be our prayer for you guys. And he says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Can we, can we stand together here? What I love about this prayer, a couple years ago, I heard a sermon, uh, a series that was going through Paul's prayers by Pastor Al Funk, Dave Funk's father. And, and I remember a sermon that he spoke on this one here specifically. And it's not just about the prayer that's so wonderful. It's the promises that are in this prayer that Paul speaks over the church. Oh, isn't it awesome? Like, may God himself not just a force, not just a power, but the person of God himself, the God of peace. He is going to sanctify you through and through. Maybe there's a sin that you're struggling with and you think, oh, he could never take care of it. It's been years I've been holding on to this. He can sanctify you through and through. Oh, it's physical. It's not just spiritual. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. He can sanctify you. He can cleanse you. He can make you new. That's who he is. The God himself is here. He is with you. Jesus is coming to return. He is coming to return. That is our hope in which we have. The one who calls you is faithful. He has proven himself faithful. He's done it before and he can do it again. And so how are we to honor our leaders? How are we to respect everybody and warn everyone and encourage the weak and help the timid to, to rejoice always and to pray continually? Uh, what's the other one? Rejoice, pray, give thanks in all circumstances. How are we supposed to not quench the spirit? And how are we supposed to not treat prophecies with contempt and hold on to good and avoid evil? We do it by the presence of the Lord in our life. God himself with us. So how have you quenched the spirit? Where have you treated his prophecies with contempt? The revelations of Christ in your life. And maybe you need to come to a place tonight here at this altar. We've got lots of time left. Where you can say, okay, Lord, I need to come before you again. Okay, Lord, I feel like I've been wandering in the desert for 40 years. And I just need to be reminded that you're with me, that you haven't left me. I just need that revelation again. Okay, Lord, yes, I know there's a sanctification process and I don't feel like I'm qualified or I'm good enough. I need you to remind me that, that you love me, that you can cleanse me and sanctify me, all of me, every part of me. Okay, Lord, I've been holding on to this thing about my future, about ministry, about marriage, about life, and I just, I can't let it go and he wants you to surrender it. So maybe this altar is a place for you to do that tonight. The band is prepared to sing a couple of songs. They're going to take their time before they get into it. And so if you'd like to come to the front, maybe you need to come to the front with somebody and pray with them and have them pray over you or have you pray over them. Now's the time to do so. Okay?
Let me pray and we'll open up these altars. Oh Lord, forgive us of the times where we have quenched your spirit. Forgive us of the times where we have been distracted by what's going on around us. Forgive us of the times where we have mindlessly numbed our way through the days and just unaware sometimes of your presence. Lord, forgive us. Times where we have chosen to live a life of flesh over the spirit. Thankful, Lord, that you are with us, that we are no longer under the law. We submit ourselves to you. And Holy Spirit, we believe that you are alive and active and at work and in this moment. And so we want to meet with you. Lord, we we surrender. Surrender our future, surrender our sin, and surrender ourselves to you in this moment. So would you meet with us here? as you've promised to do so and have been so faithful to do it before, we believe, Lord, that you'll do it again. The band is going to sing. The band is going to lead. Why don't you come to the front here if you feel you need to place yourself at the altar before him again tonight. Here's your chance to do so.